Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. Well, I'm really pleased to have as my guest on Digging in the Dirt today, the executive director of Real Organic Project, Dave Chapman. Dave has been an organic farmer for 40 years on his farm, Longwind Farm in Vermont. I believe this is Dave's third visit here to Digging in the Dirt. Why? Well, because his work is so important. That's why. He's got the consumers and the farmers back in the fight over the quality and efficacy of our food. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for making some time to talk to me. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure. So just to let everybody know, the Real Organic Project is a farmer-led movement created to distinguish soil-grown and pasture-raised products under USDA Organic. In response to the lack of enforcement of some vital USDA organic standards to protect soil health and animal welfare, organic farmers rallied together to fight to protect the integrity of the organic label. So how's this effort going to ensure that organic is truly organic, Dave? I think it's it's growing at a healthy pace. Um, you know, we face uh, an interesting situation and the really good news is that uh, organic sales, certified organic sales in America continue to grow dramatically and rapidly. And that's because I think, because people are really seeking an alternative to the chemical industry and that kind of industrial ag that is, you know, the, the backbone of, unfortunately, of American agriculture. So we see that there's a big consumer demand and uh, indeed, Certified organic farms, the number grows, and and most of those certified farms are really organic. Uh, the 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 problem is that a small a small percentage of those farms produce an awful lot of food because they're huge scale. That in in my opinion and in the opinion of most organic farmers shouldn't qualify for the label. And why so is that? Well, you know, they're they've they've taken basically the the principles of uh, conventional chemical agriculture and by substituting approved organic inputs, but not changing the farming system, they've qualified for certification. And they let's give the benefit of the doubt and say that they just have a profound misunderstanding of what organic means. Um, if, if we didn't give them the benefit of the doubt, we'd say they're gaming the system. Um, but but whatever whatever the motives might be, the outcome is that it's not so different from conventional agriculture, except that by and large it's using a lot less pesticides, which is a wonderful thing. And so uh, that's a, a thing to celebrate, and it's a thing that uh, a lot of consumers would choose to buy, and and they should have that choice. But it's not grown in a way that would mean organic. Uh, organic is not about what you don't do. It's about what you do do. You know, that's what we're talking about. That's what I, you know, I'm executive director of the Real Organic Project as a, as a weekend job. And my, my day job is growing tomatoes. But, you know, we're trying to engage the farming community and the eating community in a, in a conversation about what real organic means. 
So do you think the public really understands that there's a problem between what the USDA says is an organic standard and what real organic project is, is saying is a, a true organic standard? Well, you know, the public is not just one person and it's not just 40 million people who all agree with each other. So there's a huge diversity of people who choose to buy organic. And I always choose to buy organic. If I'm in a store and I don't know the farmers involved, I will always buy certified organic over something that isn't certified. But I think a lot of people are uneasy about what's happening. They're getting it. People are starting to hear the word. I think that you see a growing interest in regenerative agriculture, which is really only at its best is just an embracing of traditional organic agriculture. And uh, the reason that people are excited by regenerative is it seems to be a return to what organic used to mean. Unfortunately, I have to say that the same companies that have colonized the organic label are colonizing the regenerative uh, brand in the marketplace. So we now see Cargill and McDonald's and uh, General Mills and uh, even, even Bayer embracing the term regenerative. And it's very easy for them to do because there is no uh, legal definition of the word. Right. It waters down the actual concept. Very quickly. Very Mm -hmm. quickly. So, but I think that the fact that that there's excitement around the word is because people are excited about the idea, the reality of food being grown in a different kind of system, which is what the organic system is meant to be. And it's, it's legally defined and it's a good legal definition. It's just that the USDA is not following the law. Right. I read an article you wrote because you were taking some exception to Kathleen Merrigan and Lindley Dixon saying that doesn't everyone deserve organic and how do you give everybody organic? They sort of were going with the slogan of the Coalition for Sustainable Organic. And so maybe you could explain a little bit of that. I don't want to get too deep because we've been here before and they could go back and listen to the other podcast. But I would like to touch on this because I think it's so important to understand that there are groups calling themselves like Coalition for Sustainable Organic, but you take issue with that. And could you explain why? Sure. First, let me just clarify that Lindley Dixon is the Real Organic Project's associate director. So she's on our side. So she was she was quoted in that article that Kathleen Merrigan was also quoted in. And uh, Lindley's definitely on our side in this conversation. Kathleen made some, I think, unfortunate and uh, ill thought, uh, ill thought out comments about about the fact that only big farms were going to be able to feed the world. And I don't understand why she said that. She knows that's not true. Um, Kathleen was on the leadership of the, of the FAO with the UN and the FAO has said that 70% of the people in the world are fed by very small farms. So most, most people are fed by small farms in the world. Um, and in the U.S., the number of small farms is growing rapidly. So uh, we shouldn't, you know, think that only large farms can can feed people. It might be true that only large farms can feed confinement livestock operations. Um, you know, most of the most of the huge 
corn and soy produ production isn't something that, that human beings eat. Animals eat that in these big confinement dairy and, and poultry operations. And um, so that, you know, that, that's a different, different matter. But the question is, can small farms feed people? And obviously they can. The question is, can more, more small farms thrive? And the answer to that is really based on USDA policy. Uh, I think it, it, those small farms are very productive and they're economically viable if the large farms didn't have the huge subsidies that in fact they have. So we're not seeing a level playing field. This isn't honest capitalism in action. This is a situation which large players have a lot of influence over government policy. So you're talking about coalition for sustainable organic. I mean, the, is this a part of that idea you said of colonization, where you know they yeah. used the, the phrase "everyone deserves organic"? Yeah, that was that was one of their early slogans. The Coalition for Sustainable Organic is a, a group, uh, last I knew, of about 100 uh, hydroponic producers. We've never seen a list of their members, so we have no idea who they are, except for their two biggest members. We, don't know, we do know who they are, because one of them testified both to a House subcommittee and to the Senate Agriculture Committee. Their position is that they're making food affordable for everybody. They're making organic aff affordable for everybody by great, greatly reducing the cost. And of course, the question is, well, how do they do that? You know, how do they make food so cheap? And I would suggest that they're doing it by changing the rules of what is called organic. You know, people have, uh, from the coalition, have accused me of being afraid of fair competition. And I said, I'm not afraid of competition. And if I wanted to be a hydroponic producer, which is clearly more profitable, I would be, right? Nothing's stopping me from becoming hydroponic and getting it certified as organic. I just think it's fraud. So I don't, I don't believe in it. I think that I grow better food than they do. I'm quite confident of that. Uh, better nutrition, better taste. I think that there are better consequences to the rest of society from the way I grow food. I'd like to see it being replicated. And I'm hardly the best example. There, there are great, brilliant organic farmers out there who do an amazing job. The fact that some farmers or some uh, companies are able to do it cheaper, as Michael Pollan said, the only way that you get such cheap food is either through a reduction of animal welfare or through a reduction of worker welfare. And it's, it's the normal way that you make something cheap. You pay the workers less, you, you give them less protection in the workplace. In the case of animals and livestock operations, you, know, you give them much less humane living conditions. And the outcome is you can make a product like milk, meat, eggs, hydroponic tomatoes, take your choice, cheaper. That doesn't mean it's the same thing. CAFO milk and milk comes from a, a real dairy like Butterworks yogurt are not, it's not the same quality milk. And the Washington Post did a beautiful job of proving that by doing testing on the two. So I think that the challenge that we all have is to learn to discriminate between two very different things that are being sold as the same as the same product under the USDA label. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I've seen that, you know, said that large farms are not honest. They do not do a good job of organic farming. And the problem is that the large fraudsters run the town and the, they own the sheriff and they own the mayor. And it's hard to, to work under those kind of conditions in a uh, fair manner. It's kind of a rig game. It, it's nothing new about it. And it's not something that's particular to agriculture. This is true in all industries that these huge players, and I'm just reading Break Them Up. I don't know if you've seen that book, Kevin. Oh, I haven't. Um, and it's a good book. And it's about these huge monopolistic enterprises that dominate almost every part of our lives now. So in agriculture, it'd be like Bear Monsanto, for example, you know, or take your choice, General Mills, whomever. And because they're so huge, they have tremendous influence with our government. And because they have tremendous influence, they manage to sculpt the rules to favor themselves, not us. <laughs> That's what government is supposed to be there for, is to favor us, the citizen, and make sure that we have, you know, fair competition in the marketplace. And what these uh, large monopolies do, and let's just take one example in agriculture, in organic agriculture, Driscoll's. Driscoll's, by their own claim, produces 70% of the organic berries sold in America. Mm -hmm. That's a monopoly, right? Nobody can compete against them in term, because it's not a fair game. If I go to the store and they go to the store and they tell the store, you're going to buy ours instead of theirs, because we're going to give you berries every week of the year, and they can't. They're a local producer, and we're going to sell berries to every store you have in your chain, but they can't because they can only supply five stores. They win. They win that conversation. And because they're a monopoly, it always will favor them. As a result, they can dictate price. They can put the price low to drive us out, and then they can raise the price up. The, the consumer loses real choice, use, loses the, the chance to choose berries that might taste better. You know, I've, I've been to supermarkets in the height of strawberry season in Boston. All, all this is true of all the chains. And you can't get a local organic strawberry in a supermarket in Boston in the height of strawberry season. That's crazy. Yep. But that's because Driscoll's has made a deal with the chain and the chain doesn't have a whole lot of wiggle room on this. And they said, if you want to have our strawberries in January, you got to buy them now. You can't buy from that other person. And that is a monopolistic practice. Sure. So the problem is a political one. Yes. Largely. It's a political problem, which is an economic problem. Because they can pay the lobbyists. And they do. The food industry spends more money on lobbyists than the defense industry in terms of lobbying Congress. It's an amazing fact. I heard that one from Shelley Pingree. Hmm. Did not know that. Yeah. So you want the real organic project to fit in under the USDA's organic standards and be another part of it? Is that, is that the idea? Not exactly. So we're not exactly fitting in under their standards. We're an add-on label. And the USDA is going to do what the USDA does. And we tried very hard to reform the National Organic Program, which is the branch of the USDA that runs organic certification. And we failed. We failed. There was, a, there was an amazing uh, House hearing, House of Representatives hearing on organic agriculture. 
a senator from Indiana, a Republican member of the House from Indiana, asked Greg Eibach, the undersecretary, how come you haven't passed a single recommendation in the last 10 years from the National Organic Standards Board? That's our advisory board that's meant to advise the NOP, the USDA, on, on what standards to pass. And they've rejected the last 20 standards. That's <laughs> 10 years of stand, <laughs> 10 years of votes that passed by two-thirds of a group, not exactly a group of radicals, all appointed by the Secretary of Agriculture. But the USDA did not like the recommendations, so they ignored them. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Yeah, well, it's 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 kind of painful that yeah. it's so blatant, but that's how it is. So our goal. I, we will continue to work on reform, but our goal in the Real Organic Project is to create an add-on label so that people can see a label they can trust. If you want to know whether those those eggs or that milk came from a CAFO, if you see a Real Organic seal on it, you know they did not. If you want to know if those tomatoes or blueberries came from a hydroponic facility, if you see a Real Organic seal, you'll know that they did not. And we require USDA certification as a foundation. So anybody that we certify has already been certified by USDA. And then we just go and take that one next step. And we basically say, are you actually maintaining and improving the fertility of your soil? You know, are you actually pasturing your animals? And uh, basically that's it. We have a few, a few other small standards, but the basic thing is, are you really organic? So, by the way, we're speaking to Dave Chapman. He's the executive director of the Real Organic Project, and I'm glad to have him here. He has a symposium coming up in January. It's the Real Organic Virtual Symposium. It's going to be every Sunday in January from 3 to 5 p.m. in the afternoon. So why don't you tell us what's going on there? That's I, I am totally impressed with the speakers list. I mean, it is the A-list of A-lists, starting with how did you get Al Gore to, to come to an organic virtual symposium? You know, as it turned out, Kevin, it wasn't that hard because Al Gore's farm called Caney Fork Farm is certified with the Real Organic Project. And to be honest, when they applied for certification, we had no idea it was Al Gore's farm, but <laughs> we inspected them and they qualified. And then it turned out that it, it was the Gore Ranch. And we asked them to ask Mr. Gore if he would be interested in joining us. And he was interested. We, I just interviewed him this week and he was great. And he's very supportive of the Real Organic Project. So he was uh, certainly the most prominent person in the symposium, but we got a lot of oh, yeah. people who are organic pioneers and heroes. We got, you know, Elliot Coleman and we got Alice Waters, and we got Dan Barber, and we got Fred Kirshman, and we got Leah ben, Penniman. It, it goes on. Shiva and Bill McKibben. Vandana Shiva and Bill McKibben. Uh, Lindley and I interviewed over 65 people for the symposium. Wow. And all of those interviews will be released sometime this winter as, as podcasts. Wonderful. We'll be taking clips and excerpts from them to put together the five sessions for the symposium. And each of these people, you're going to have like five or six per Sunday afternoon? 
Is that yeah, how it's well, working? Actually, a few more than five or six. <laughs> <laughs> how are you going to manage that? <laughs> I know. it's a, it, The most agonizing thing is to cut and edit down to uh, the pre-recorded part of the sessions will be an hour and a half. Okay. And then we'll have some live Q&A. And I know that, uh, oh, you know, Dan Barber and Alice Waters and, and um, J.M. Fortier and Elliot Coleman will all be among the people whom will be uh, Paul Hawken will be among the people whom we're going to be asking questions of live during the symposium. You just throwing these names around Paul Hawken. <laughs> oh yeah. Paul's, Paul's fantastic. Well, Paul's, Paul's been on our board of advisors since day one, but I did an interview of him last year for a podcast. And then he was going to be the keynote speaker at our April symposium at Dartmouth college. And of course that was canceled by COVID. So mm -hmm. we spent a few months licking our wounds and then we launched into, we launched into the virtual symposium, which I'm quite excited about. I, I think it's really going to be very engaging and it's going to talk about important topics. Well, certainly it's going to be meaty. I mean, this is some real thinkers in this niche, you know, That's and right. it's uh, congratulations for gathering everybody together. Tell everybody how they can get to, you know, participate in this. What's how's it, how's it work? You can go to the realorganicproject.org website and um, there will be a link there to the symposium and you can just get a ticket from that link. Tickets are, we have a short version of the symposium and a long version. So the short version is just watching the hour and a half pre-recorded session. And I think that's $45 for five sessions total. And the long one is $100 for five sessions. And that includes the live question and answer and, and a couple little breakout sessions. So it's five Sundays five Sundays in a row, every Sunday in January, every Sunday afternoon. Good way to start 2021. I think, you know, I, I think, think so. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's, it's going to be something pretty special. No doubt about it. Oh, uh, just looking over the bios of everybody. I, I mean, six or seven have been on this program already. I mean, there, you have uh, some real serious thinkers in this area. It's really great. What I wanted to ask about is, there's a, quite a representation of climate change activists and, and thinkers. Why is that? What does that have to do with uh, real organic? Yeah, well, that's why you have to come to session three to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us a I, tease. <laughs> I think that in my mind, there's there's no doubt that I, I, we've we've known for a long time that climate change affects agriculture, and actually, Mr. Gore gave a pretty brilliant talk about that at a symposium that he hosted a month ago and talking about the devastating effect on farming around the world by rising sea levels and rising temperatures. But something that I have been learning about for the last six years is the profound ways in which agriculture affects climate change. You know, my, my very, very favorite speaker about this is Walter Yenna, who has come to Vermont three or four times to give workshops and these are not hour-long workshops. These are three-day-long workshops. And they're really in-depth explorations of complicated but important ideas about the ways in which we can cool the planet 
with better agriculture and better land management. And, and Paul Hawken talks about the same thing. His new book, Regeneration, is about this very subject. Mm-hmm. About, and, uh, the subtitle of his book is How Do We Reverse Climate Change in One Generation? So, and, and I'll tell you that it involves uh, changing our land use and changing the way we interact with the ocean. So very, very important ideas, very, very important realities for all of us. In my mind, real organic farming, as it turns out, unbeknownst to um, the pioneers, is actually the solution for climate change. Not to say, of course, we must stop putting so much carbon up in the air by burning fossil fuels, but the very things that we already knew were good for water quality and that we knew were good for human nutrition, um, that were good for preventing erosion, good for animal health, right? All of these things are the very same things that make agriculture a potentially a positive influence in climate change. So yes, we were, we were excited to have Mr. Gore and Bill McKibben and Walter Yenna and oh my gosh, you know, so many, so many wow. others and, and farmers like Glenn Elzinga and Jean-Paul Cortez. Uh, Dave, it's like the embarrassment of riches. <laughs> it's an embarrassment of riches for sure. But it's a, it looks like a, a can't miss symposium, you know, to me. Hey, the politics has changed a little bit. You think that's going to have some influence on what could happen with your niche of the world, you know, in real organic and agriculture policies? I think for sure it's it's going to be a, a positive change for organic integrity, but I don't think that it's necessarily going to be a, a resolution of any problems. You know, when we were fighting the USDA, it was at the end of eight years of Obama's administration. And under Obama's administration, a great deal of destruction happened to the National Organic Program. Now, that, that actually wasn't because, you know, Obama was unfriendly to organic, not at all. Of course, Michelle Obama w- was the greatest ally the organic movement has ever had living in the, in the White House. But it was at the time when organic became profitable and it became attractive to the large corporations. And so sharks go to water, corporations go to money. And we saw all of these huge companies who are the dominant players in conventional agriculture becoming interested in becoming powerful players in organic agriculture as well. Mm -hmm. I said that Driscoll's is 70% of the organic berries in America. They're also the biggest conventional berry vendor in America. And the same is true of General Mills and the same is true of, you know, you know these massive dairies and Danone and uh, on and on. E- even Cargill is a member of the Organic Trade Association, rather unbelievably, but it is. So if Bernie had gotten elected, I actually believe that the secretary of ag picked probably would have been somebody who would have been a genuine friend to real organic. But, he, you know, Bernie, Bernie wasn't the candidate. Biden was. He got elected. And we'll see who he picks as, as secretary of agriculture. It is unlikely to be a strong friend to us. 
it's okay. This is the world we live in. We have to contend with that. Um, But I'm not expecting that, um, you know, salvation is at hand for organic integrity. Under the Trump administration, you know, they didn't even smile when they hit you. They just hit you. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there was no kiss. There was just a smack. So maybe we'll get a few things back that were almost passed, like the, uh, you know, the uh, OLPP, which was the the uh, animal welfare basically for poultry. And in the last week of Obama's administration, they finally enacted that after years of debate and compromise. And the first day of Trump's administration, they threw it out. And um, so maybe we'll get that back. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, the system is the system, right? The system is the system. You know, we we should we should be outraged, but we shouldn't we shouldn't get lost in our outrage. We shouldn't get we shouldn't be immobilized. We just need to to deal with what is and do our very best to um, try and make things better. Yeah, I like what you're saying there. You know, I uh, we're coming to the end here, and I usually ask my guests, "Are you optimistic?" I'm not going to ask you that today. I'm. I think that your real organic project. Through, you look at the website. You look at the symposium coming. It exudes optimism through action. So, maybe I should ask you to give us a report card. How about give us a a, a status of where we are right now in our society and where we have to go? And, and do you think maybe we could get there? Well, uh, right now, 99% of the meat, milk, and eggs in America come from CAFO confinement operations. And those operations produce inferior food, and they're destructive to climate. So we have a huge lift ahead of us to change that. It really is a big deal. And unfortunately, that's becoming the norm in organic certification, too, which was the one alternative to that. So I am optimistic that people want an alternative and I think that we can change it, but it's going to take a tremendous amount of work and we're going to have to be dealing with people who are masquerading as our friends along the way. Mm-hmm. And we need Soil the consumer, health. right? You need the consumer to we help We need the us. consumer. We, we can't do anything without the consumer. Consumer can't do anything without farmers. And that's why we need this to be uh, a movement where we all get connected. And you, speaking of which, you got Ronnie Cummins coming too. So there you go. <laughs> Ronnie Cummins is is going to be part part of it. Yeah, we we have, well, you know, Kevin, we have such an amazing diversity of speakers from so many points of view. We got John Eichert, who's a a wonderful radical farm economist from University of Missouri. Uh, I just I just love him. We got Stuart Hill, who's an old soil zoologist, you know, from the early days of organic, who, who was a professor at McGill and he started coming to organic conferences and, you know, just these people who have so much uh, gravitas and so much depth of knowledge. It's going to be, yeah, that part is just going to be exciting. Yeah, I'll say it looks like a can't miss kind of thing to, to go to really. Yeah. Before we finish up, we should say this is called a Real Organic Virtual Symposium. It's going to be every Sunday in January from 3 to 5 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm not going to go over the list of guests, but it's unbelievable. Go check out realorganicsymposium.org. And, uh, you know, we've been talking to Dave Chapman, the executive director of the Real Organic Projects, and I really appreciate you coming here. No, thank you, Kevin. It's always a pleasure. Take care. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt.
the dirt. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. 